let me introduce you to inspiring entrepreneurs. Hi there, my name is Ben Gothard. My mission is to interview incredible entrepreneurs who are changing the world and present their stories to you, unscripted and unedited. From billionaires to Forbes 30 under 30 recipients to New York Times best-selling authors and much, much more, these people are living proof that nothing is impossible. Join me on this journey to learn from their experiences and become the person you're meant to be. Welcome to the Project Egg Show every morning at 8 a.m. Central. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Project Egg Show. Today, we have the honor of speaking with Dave Matson, the CEO and president of Sandler Worldwide Headquarters. Dave, it is such an honor to be speaking with you today. Um, I'm so grateful that you would carve time out of your busy schedule to uh, speak with me. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, it's my pleasure. Listen, Ben, you know, anything I can do to help aspiring entrepreneurs, uh, you're, you know, I'm all yours. Fantastic. So let's jump right in. What is your story? What is my story? Uh, I mean, how I got here? Yeah, from the very beginning. So I uh, grew up in a lower middle class family. Um, the rule in my family was you can have anything that you want. You just have to pay for it. And so I figured out very early on that I was going to have to be, you know, entrepreneurial. And so I started off with the typical thing, the paper route. And, you know, I did all everyone's driveways and I did all the leaves. And I'm picking tobacco at 14 because you couldn't get a job when I grew up until you were 15. And I noticed, you know, they pick you up at five, they drop you up at 2.30 in the afternoon and day by day, you know, less than most people were on the bus. Um, but I had this goal, you know, I, I wanted to go to college, which I was going to have to pay for. And then I had a bunch of jobs, um, you know, through probably two to three at a time. And, you know, Ben, when I hit um, high school, my father was a teacher and, you know, in the summers, teachers have nothing to do. So there was a group that painted houses, actually. And so they hired me and I painted some houses and I realized that I was getting about 275 bucks a week. And, you know, life was good. I was in the sun. You know, you could do what you want the night before. You, you know, you could just you know, strap yourself the ladder. It was no big deal. And I got paid one day from a client to give it to my boss, the teachers. And they gave me 5,400 bucks. And I said, what? I paid two houses a week with my, my crew member here. They've got all these crews. So we took about $600. These guys, man, they took, wow, they took like 4,800 bucks. And that's when, okay, now I started paying attention. Now, I, instead of just messing around, now I'm paying attention. How long does it take me to do this wall? What did they bid over here? How did they do this? And I looked at things completely different. And the very next year, started it up uh, on my own. And I did that all through college, actually. Uh, made great money. And then I, I left that and I went to work for a neighbor who happened to be a Sandler client. And one of the prerequisites, I had to join the Sandler, what we call President's Club, which is our training program. And I didn't want to do it. You know, I was, I'm an introvert by nature. So, you know, the gift of gab isn't my thing. But what I did know is that I would outwork you. You would be smarter than I was, but I would just put in way more hours than you. And that's just how I've always survived. And so I, you know, I went to this training program reluctantly. So I was a, I was a sentee, right? So I was a hostage. And I watched and I realized that it was not a script-based program. It was very conversational. And I said, oh, okay, it was based on psychology. And my mom had a psychology background. I said, okay, I like this. Um, and so I really started practicing because uh, I'm a rehearser, I'm a practicer. And I became their number one salesperson. And then I went to work for a Sandler trainer. And I had the opportunity to go meet Dave Sandler, who founded this organization. 
And I then became a disciple for lack of another term. So I listened to all the, I'm going to date myself here now, I listened to all the tapes. I read this stuff. I tried to use it everywhere. And two years into it, Dave Sandler at one of the training programs for the offices, because we have, we believe in reinforcement training. And so we would get together four times a year, said, I'm looking for somebody to help me grow the business and train all the trainers. And, you know, I look up my arms up already and like, Hey, why wouldn't I work for the guy? And so I came from Connecticut down to Maryland and I had the uh, privilege of working for him for six years. And towards the end, when I said I had to go, he said, well, that's, that's a shame. I really have been watching you. I'd love you to be our partner. So that's what I did. I bought in my first uh, round was in 1994. So I bought 25% of the business. Uh, David passed away in 95. Now in the training business, most of the time it's, it's built around a persona, a person, right? So if it's, it doesn't really matter if Tommy Hopkins goes, then, you know, it's pretty well over Zig Ziglar, you know, so you have these great uh, people that are out there that the whole business was built on them. David Sandler really built it upon all of the other trainers. So when he passed in 95, the outside world expected us to implode, which we didn't. And uh, so if I fast forward, I bought another 50% in 2007. And so Ben, I was the only non-family member. So I'm in a family business, small business. I'm the, the token outsider, right? And you know, I was David Sandler's protege, which actually sounds great. And it was great for me personally. But if you overlay that in a family owned business, once your, once your benefactor leaves, it's, it uh, makes it a little more difficult for, you know, me by myself, because now I'm outnumbered by everybody who said, why did dad pay attention to you? So I survived all that because I produced an incredible amount of revenue for them and uh, which trumps everything. And so in 2012, well, in 2007, when we bought, I became the CEO. And at that point, we changed the business dramatically. And so, and I can go into that, but we had completely um, revamped what we were doing and acted more as a unified organization versus separate websites and this and that. Um, you know, we train 31,000 people a year. So we are almost like a small university, if you think about it. And so we just acted like the 800-pound gorilla that the outside world saw us as. And then in 2012, I bought the last family member out. And so from that point forward, I've been the sole stockholder and, and really focused on growing the business. Now we're in 31 countries. And, you know, as I said, we train a ton of people, primarily in sales and sales leadership. Not that we don't have in our swing zone is small businesses, people who are by themselves or people with five salespeople. You know, they have an awesome idea. They just don't know how to scale. They don't know how to start. You know, they're good at what they do, but not necessarily building a business. And that's where we grew up over, we've been doing this 50 years, but that's where we grew up, probably 30 of them. And then we've gravitated towards, you know, larger business as well. So whether it's Dell or Salesforce.com or LinkedIn, we train a lot of people in technology and financial services. Um, and then the construction, which I'll say roofing and remodeling, all that. And so we've now have a wide variety of different clients, but we grew up in the space that, you know, really listened to you to try to get direction on what should I do next? That's how I grew up. That is an incredible journey. That is an incredible journey. Now, I'm interested in learning about your entrepreneurial spirit because it seems like that was one of the common threads throughout your journey. And I know that you mentioned that in your family, if you wanted something, you had to work for it and you had to pay for it yourself. Right. Um, but what other reasons are there? Like, like, why are you entrepreneurial? Where does that come from? I mean, I wish there was an easy answer. Um, I'm certainly the first salesperson in my family. You know, my, um, my parents, are, as I said, were teachers. So when I was, uh, you know, my mom was pregnant, they were hoping for an engineer. That would have been an upgrade, um, you know, because they were all teachers. They were looking for doctors, an engineer, an attorney. Um, they sized me up pretty quickly and realized I wasn't going to be a doctor. But, you know, when I went into sales and I said that, I went to four years of, you know, I went to UConn went to college, came home and said, I took a sales job. I thought my mom was going to have a heart attack. I mean, in shock because to her that meant, Oh my gosh, my son's unemployed. And, uh, but 
the entrepreneurial thing started way back when, when I had these paper routes and I did all these things. Why? Because the, the first driver was, um, I didn't really necessarily want to be hand to mouth. And if there's things that I wanted, I never wanted to rely on anyone else because it was never going to happen. Um, and not because there's bad people on the thing, but if you want something, then you should step up and, and take the risk and do those things. And, and that's kind of how it started. And, and did I have failures? Yeah, sure. But what I realized was, and, and I save my money, so I'm a saver, I'm not a spender. And so I got to do the things that maybe I didn't get to do when I was growing up or if I wanted something and I rewarded myself for hitting a goal, I could do that. Now, I have a unique ability, which is I, get to, I can connect unrelated dots. And so if there is an opportunity that may not just be sitting there, and there's a ton of them here at Sandler, and I can say, you know, if we connect this over here, even though it's unrelated to that, if we put those together, that's an awesome combination, actually. And so let's figure out whether that's a good idea, because just having a good idea and implementing it and then making it work are three separate things, right? And so I, I took, took that first step. And because I, at the age of whatever it was, 10 and 11, when I got that um, paper route, you know, I had to actually knock on people's doors and ask for money. In today's world with SaaS, you don't actually have to ask anybody for money. It's just automatically off your credit card. So I had to go, you know, knock on Mrs. Jones's door, who was avoiding me for a lousy $2.30 and, and all those things. And so I knew I was afraid to do most of this. As I said, I'm an introvert, right? But I realized if I could have courage 15 minutes at a time, then I could do just about anything. And, you know, I went through the same thing, call reluctance and stalling and doing all those things. But I think the passion for me is I like to build. Um, I like to see it work. And I like the challenge of making it work. And so to me, that drives me. Um, and I've always been economically focused, um, again, because I came from nothing, right? And um, so I think all those things together, Ben, has kind of got me to, to where I am. But, you know, even now, I, I, I guess technically I don't have to work, but I, yet here I am. I'm still doing my thing because I view Sandler could be substantially bigger than we are, even though we're, we're the number one in the industry. And so that drives me, you know, building something to what I believe it could be is, is something that always has pushed me. And so that's I think that's if I had to sum it up, I never thought about it, really. But I think that's really what it would boil down to. You mentioned a couple different qualities of yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, so, so I think we kind of touched on the answer to, to my next question a little bit, but I really want to ask it because I'm very curious about it. And, and I think it's massively helpful to learn about people like yourself who are out there and doing a tremendous job and providing a ton of value to a ton of people, both inside your organization and, and outside your organization. So what are your core values and how did you develop them over time? Um, well, I mean, if, for me, I've always, um, I'm super transparent, right? Uh, I'm super upfront and um I'm honest to, I don't want to say a fault because there is no honest to a fault, but when I had my painting business and, you know, somebody gave me a $4,000 check on something that took me a day and, and, but I was still cheaper than anyone else. I would have adults come to me and say, yes, you were cheaper. Yes, you did a great job. There is no way I'm paying you. I went to school. I'm an attorney. I don't make $4,000 a day you're not getting the money and all those things just kind of, you know, built up inside of me, which is, I, I just think, you know, they always say, Hey, good guys never finish first, you know, and I'm not saying, Hey, I'm the best guy in the world, but what I, what people would say is that I'm super loyal and, and I'm loyal because I would want you to do that for me. You know, if I, provide servant leadership and I'm doing everything I can do to help you, then I expect you to step up and do everything that you can as well. And that's just my expectation. And so I am known to be super loyal, of which I am. And then I think the other thing is that I don't, 
I always protect myself. Listen, as a small entrepreneur, you know, I, let me say the nicest, I expect, I plan for the worst and I do everything possible to make sure that that doesn't happen. You know, and my wife will say, well, gosh, man, you sound like you're Eeyore. What are you doing? I said, well, not really. I mean, I, I want it to work, but I hyperventilate on all the reasons ben, that it's not going to work. And so I, I don't, you know, I don't over-exaggerate the opportunity. I, I don't think that it's not going to happen without a lot of hard work, but because I, I freak out about all the things that could go wrong, that I make sure that they don't happen. So, and even when my wife says, well, but they don't happen. I said, it's true, but did they not happen because they were never going to happen or did they not happen because I spent all the time making sure they weren't going to happen. And it's a little of both. So I'm not changing, you know? Um, so I think that those are, you know, some of the things for me and, and I always think you have to pay forward. I think you have to give back, uh, which, which, uh, which I do. We've got a ton of young entrepreneurs that, uh, we help mentor and we spend time with because that's what makes listen, entrepreneurship is what makes this country great. Um, if you think about it and, you know, the more and more of, uh, successful people are opening up their own businesses. The days of my parents where you started at an organization and that's where you retired and died um, is no longer. I mean, there's no thing, there's nothing called pensions anymore, right? So the pensions really don't exist. The pension is whatever you make your life to be. So therefore you can take control of that. And so taking control of your own destiny has always been my thing from a very early age. Um, so rambled on there a little bit but that's kind of where i am well just for the record ramblings are encouraged on the show because i feel like that's <laughs> where a lot of the, a lot of the gems live yeah. um and and you've mentioned a lot about autonomy and and being in control of your own destiny and to me that's very fascinating that that seems to be you know th something that we keep coming back to you know We've, we've kind of talked through a couple of different things, but, but I feel like a lot of the times it's come back to that. Mm -hmm. Why is that so important to you? Well, uh, well I, I think, um, uh, I think I spend an exorbitant amount of time in prep and doing the things that it will take to be successful. Um, I, I don't know whether that's everybody else's work ethic. Um, if I'm going to go down, I'd like to go down knowing that I, well, I made those decisions or I caused me to go down. Um, you know, that, not that I don't delegate because I do delegate, but even when it comes to autonomy, and, and I'll go back to very early experiences, there's a ton of things that when you're thinking about being an entrepreneur, right? So if you really work for somebody else now, this is the greatest practice ground of all time because you can act as if without you actually having to take the risk yet. Even as an employee, I always say that you should be the CEO of you incorporated. I mean, you run your life, right? And so when I was given projects, I was an employee. Um, I started specking houses the day after David Sandler died because if I was going to get fired by the family, I had to have my contingency plan and I'm a contingency plan guy. So I started specking homes to the point where I was making more money in the home building than I was at Sandler again, because that was just my escape hatch if needed. Right? So there, there's another thing that pops up for me all the time. Everybody in this company knows I have contingencies, like three of them just in case why I, you know, it's that it's not fear of failure, but it's, for me, I just want to make sure that I've dissipated risk because I don't have, uh, especially in the beginning, I don't have a lot of money to risk. I mean, this has to work, right? Whatever it is has to work. And when you're going to go into a business, you have to jump in like with 100%. I mean, you're, you're in. It's almost like, you know, you burn the, burn the ships, as they say. Cortez goes in and say, yeah, burn the ships. We're not coming home. And it's, it's that dedication, that's those 18-hour days. But if I go back to my point, when I'm an employee, whether it's the painting, whether it's at the first company, I'm given a project. And so now I, I'm acting as if this is my business, my project. And everything, as long as if you're an aspiring entrepreneur, if you're working for somebody else, 
clearly ask, what are my guidelines? What are my guardrails, right? So where are my areas that I can make decisions on? And, you know, who do I have to confer with? Who do I have to ask? Who do I have to get involved with? And what's my budget? And then pretend that's your business and get it done. Get it done on time, on budget, and have everybody happy that you were in charge of it. And you start doing that, it builds confidence. It builds conviction. And you're going to make some mistakes. So I actually created a playbook for myself. And so back then, I had a three-ring notebook of all the things that, hey, you know what? When I did this, I did here are the three steps that I did, and it worked. And so I'm going to capture that because the problem is we have a lot of things that work for us. But if we don't capture them in some way, shape, or fashion, then we don't remember them until you've messed up somewhere and you go, oh, you know what? Gosh darn it. I remember now I should have done this. And I just tried to condense that try to condense all of that. So for, so that autonomy, that self-control stuff was, I practiced for years when I had no control. And then when I actually went on my own, yes, was I fearful? Of course. You know, when I got into the business in 94, when David said, become my partner, uh, I was 27 years old. So I bought 25% of Sandler at 27. And, you know, I went to to banks to get all this money, which no one was going to give me because I'm 27 years old. They're looking at me saying, you got to be kidding me. No way. I said, but look at Sandler. This is the company. Like, no way. Um, and so I was moping around on a holiday at my family, you know, holiday thing. And my parents quietly went and mortgaged their house. <laughs> they didn't even tell me. They mortgaged their house for me to go to the bank and said, I've got the major, you know, I've got a ton of this money and give me the rest. And I tell you, that's motivating, right? Because you're not going to, you know, I don't want to let my parents down. Um, and I have, I'm one of four. So there's four other kids trying to figure out how to go to college. My parents are not rich. That's their only asset in life. And it was shocking. And I, and I don't, listen, I have five children. And I'm not even sure then, uh, you know, if somebody came to me and said, would you mortgage the house because I've got this opportunity? Uh, I don't know if I would even do it. I mean, obviously I wouldn't be here without it. And, you know, they would have to have one heck of a plan for me to, to step off the cliff and give up, you know, my asset called the house. And I'm in a different situation than my parents was, but, you know, I, I was forever grateful. And I think that motivation of, you know, I'm not one of those guys where I'm going to go buy a new car now and I owe people money. That's not my thing. Like I never went on vacation. I never bought anything until, you know, my parents were paid. Like within two years, I actually had figured out creative ways with Sandler for me to go make extra money, which he loved. But to me, it was just, how am I going to get this paid off? I mean, how am I going to do X? And that's always, how am I going to do whatever it is? And if I sit back and think about it for a day or two, more and more ideas come. Right. So I just say, let it happen. And I start to capture them. And then, you know, here comes a plan. It's a straw model. But once I have the plan, then I say, okay, well, what, what's my, what are my benchmarks? Where do I want to be in 30 days, 60, 90? And then how am I going to get there? And what's, what's my measurement? How am I going to know if I'm on track or not? And that's really what I did for many, 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 many years. And I still do it today. We just had a big company meeting yesterday. <laughs> said, uh, I just bought this new technology. It's going to change the way that we do business here. It's going to change the industry. And here's what I want, where I want to be in six months. And here's where we're going to be in a year. And everyone's like, wow, okay. But they also know that I, I, I want um, a culture of accountability. So I give them the guardrails. I said, here's Here's what you guys need to do. And then I'll help you. I'll do whatever you want, but you run this as if it was yours. You run that. This is what I want you to do here. This is what I want you to do there. See, I think the problem with entrepreneurs, and, I, and I've trained tens of thousands of them, is that we are calculated risk takers in the beginning of our careers, right? There's a lot of luck. There's a lot of luck. Um, but luck is really you working harder than most and really planning stuff out and, and taking advantage of an opportunity that most people wouldn't have. We call that luck. But um, So they spend all this time doing whatever it takes to be successful. And let's say now they hit this age of 
whatever it is. I've been in business now for 15 years. Uh, you know, I'm successful, whatever that means. I feel protected. And then they do the exact opposite of what got them there. They spend the last half of their career protecting their empire, protecting their business. And all those calculated risks, all that extra stuff that they did in the beginning is not what they're doing in the tail end. And majority of them go like this. They grow up, okay, comfort zone, comfort zone, comfort zone, protect, protect, protect. And they're, then they're shocked. Why did my business go down? Well, your business went down because you stopped acting the way you did to get your business to what it is. And I think if you're a young entrepreneur, you you can see people at different stages of their career as you as you're looking around, right? And I think that's really the other thing. You should be a, a great observer. You know, do I like the, what that person does? Do I like the way that they manage? Do I like this? I don't like this. And so when it's my turn. I don't want to act like that, or I do like this, and I do like that. But I go back to, again, you don't have to practice on yourself. You know, you don't have to practice on your own business. You can practice with whatever you're doing now. Um, and, I, and I think sometimes, you know, and I have entrepreneurs coming to me that are right out of college. I have this. Some of them is, are doing it to escape um, the things that they don't like about what they're, what they're doing now. Oh, I don't like this. Oh, I don't like that. Okay, well, you know you're going to be doing that in your own business, right? I mean, just so we're clear, that's you're not escaping anything. You're just going to have more of it, and you're responsible. So either maybe it's not for you, or maybe you have to look at it differently, but you know, the get-out-of-jail-card-free and everything in life isn't owning your own business. That's not really what it is. So if I go back to you know, act as an entrepreneur in, there's a difference between entrepreneurship and entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship is run the business within a company. Um, and so, um, you know, I think that's a lot of things. If you took the notes and you've really thought about yourself, you have to be an honest shrink. You know, you have to be Dr. Phil. I wouldn't butter it up saying, hey, I can't do that. So I've got to figure out why. Is it a script? Is it my head? What is it? And overcome that. Or you're going to have to find people very early on that can help fill the gaps of things that you can't do. And in today's world, that's an easy thing to do with not a lot of money, right? I mean, there's certain things that I'm not good at. And I was never good at it. I'm not going to practice to be good at it. But, you know, for whether it's um, Fiverr or any of these other sites, you can offload a bunch of uh, things that you don't like for very low amounts of money. So I just think you have to be honest with yourself. First of all, wow, that is an amazing, amazing uh, story about your parents and and the mortgage of their house to you know and and the belief that you know that's uh that, that shows the their belief in you and yeah. that to me is just incredible and so incredible you know it makes me very grateful for uh, for for my family too and and the belief that that they've always had in me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I also think that you really talked about a lot of gems there. Not only did you talk about how you think about things like with contingency planning and risk mitigation and then the whole life cycle of you're, you're doing these things to get to this point, but then you stop doing the things that got you to that point and then you wonder why you started to, to fail and then – and, and I love the idea of, of entrepreneurship also, mm-hmm. like testing it and, and identifying that stuff. Um, so I, I thought that was brilliant. I would love to hear about the relationship between you and Mr. Sandler. And, and I'm interested from the perspective of the protege, like how did you actually go about learning the knowledge, learning what you needed to know, really internalizing that and understanding and growing with this this visionary who you work so closely with. Um, well, I, I think, first of all, you have to commit the time. Uh, just finding somebody in the industry, whatever it is for you, that is you would consider a mentor and, and saying, hey, you know, I'd like to be in the industry. I want to be your protege. 
that doesn't really fly. In, in my view, I think that you have to prove the fact that you're going to spend the time and energy and make the commitment um, to do whatever it takes to be successful. And, and they will help, like a piece of clay, mold you. Um, but that doesn't mean they're doing it for you. And that doesn't mean they're going to give you an easy way. So for me, uh, I knew that when I got to Sandler, before I got to Sandler, I listened to these tapes. I mean, I'm telling you, I, I could recite scripts. I could do X. Now I did it because I didn't think I'm a born salesperson. So I, I wanted to be successful over here. It's true. But I spend, I forget Howard Stern. That was off. I mean, I didn't listen to any of that stuff any longer. I was listening to anything on self-help. And then I went outside of the Sandler circle and listened to stuff that was on your head and behavior stuff. Because I think behavior drives attitude. I think if you behave in a certain way, your head changes. I don't, like when I jog, I don't wake up and say, you know, today's the greatest day of jogging. I hate jogging. So, you know, you, you can fool yourself all you want. But if you just get on a, you know, about a, an eighth of a mile into it, you say, well, it's not so bad, right? So if you just behave, uh, and I can't control output. I can't control who's going to say yes or no. I can't control success or failure. And so don't freak out about it. What you should freak out about is, what are all the behaviors that I need in order for me to get to that point? And because I can control my own behaviors, right? That that's the easy part. And then I become a scientist to say, if I'm doing the right behaviors to get that outcome. But if I go back to Sandler, so I spent the time and, and I worked my butt off, you know, so I have, uh, I sold franchises for David as well. And David would go out to dinner every night at seven o'clock. He'd go right back down because our office was right by his, his home. And I'd still be there making calls to the West Coast because the West Coast was three hours back. And he would beep. And, you know, I liked it because I, I knew that he knew that I was still there doing my thing. And so at, at some point in time, here's what shifted from just hard work. He, I ask questions. So it's not, you know, a couple of things. Like if I were to do something, I say, okay, well, what would you do? And the second question is, but why, why did you pick that way? Like, why would you have done it this way? So the, what would you do is one, but why, why is that? How, how did you get there? I learned more from the why than I did the, what do you do? What do you do is fine. But then if I go to the second part of really being a great protege, I think you show up at a point and say, here's the situation. Here's what I plan on doing and why, what do you think? And now I'm coming because to create an atmosphere of self-sufficiency is the ultimate goal of any leader. I mean, unfortunately leaders create an atmosphere of self-helplessness because I'll show up and say, hey, what should I do? Oh, you do this, 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 and this. Well, okay, that's like me doing my kids' homework. I mean, they, they didn't learn anything, right? They just become robotic. And by the way, if it's the wrong answer, I get to blame you because what was your answer? So when I went to him and said, here's what I plan on doing. Here's why I'm going to do it this way. What do you think? I learned a lot because he would say, well, you're, you're like 90% there, which was great, right? So that's, you know, conviction, you know, and then I would say, but what about this last little step over here? You forgot that. Uh, okay. And then he said, but why would you have done it this way? Well, here's why. Okay. But remember we did this thing over here. So there's a reason why you didn't want to do it that way. And he made me think, and he made me go through all of my contingencies. Like, why did I do it this way? And how do I think about this? And and to this day, I am still a mini Sandler. I mean, to really, to this day, I look at our field. We have 400 people that do nothing but train Sandler. And I look at that differently. Like, he was always battles and wars. David, don't get worked up about that. That's a battle. You don't want to get your stuff stuck in battles. Just there will be wars and battles. That's not a war. So don't get your oh, self worked up about this. And I still say those words, and I still think about it that way. Because outsiders are like, are you going to let that happen, Dave? I get it. I, you know, I don't like it. I wouldn't have done it that way, but that's a battle, right? So let's just figure out how to get back on track. There's no reason to go decimate this person. <laughs> let's just figure this out um, to that point. But there's something else that um, if I go back to the protege thing, there's permission and protection. Uh, 
And those two Ps are super valuable because Sandler would give me permission. He would give me permission to act as if it was my own decision. And so I, I made a lot of decisions and I didn't really second guess that I had to go ask him because he told me my guardrails and I asked him like, where, where am I, what am I get to live in? Because if you're going to be somebody's protege, I think you really need to know, understand what the rules of engagement are. So, so you can act as if that's what you don't need to go continue to go back to them and ask permission or what would you do here? What would you do there? Now they want to see you grow too, right? So this is now you become their child. If you think about it for lack of a term, because they're helping you professionally and personally grow from where you are to wherever this journey is supposed to take you. And, and really the goal is to have you become better than the person that you asked to sponsor you. And so the permission was you had permission to act as if if I give you a project, these are your guardrails, just get it done. You don't have to second guess yourself. And permission to be blatantly, I mean, super honest. And so I would go and say, hey, I, I really screwed this up. Or, hey, you know me, you told me that, and I didn't do it. And But here's why, because I was afraid, actually. I didn't, I didn't grow up that way. I think that's like, I can't even get my head around why that's a good idea. I didn't ask ahead of time, so my bad. But he gave me permission to be super honest. And I never, ever thought I was going to get fired, ever, because I just had this super open relationship with him because that was the permission part. Now, here's the protection part. that If, in fact, you did those things, you acted in good faith and, yeah, maybe you made a bad decision and you need to just tell me what's going on upstairs and don't sugarcoat, you know, how you did things, you know, after the fact, don't lie about it. And because I was brutally honest, he would protect me uh, on that. So I didn't have to worry about, you know, the whack-a-mo. I didn't have to worry about that. I was going to have my head whacked on a particular issue. And he protected me, um, you know, and if it had to do with other people, he protected my self-esteem. He protected the fact that maybe I had an okay decision, but not the best. And he protected me when I had a bad decision. Listen, I felt more. I don't want to say guilty. I felt worse than he did when I didn't live up to that expectation, even if his expectation was here. And I think it's up there, right? Because this is how it works. And so that was there. And then Sandler would set these goals for me. And and he had this other thing, which I'll tell you about in a minute, visualization. But the goal was, just hypothetically say, um, my goal was $10,000. And when I got 70% of goal, we would celebrate, but he would then say, guess what? I really think we can do 13,000. He would move it out like 20 to 30% when I, when I got to like 70. And here, why would he do that? Well, because if you've ever lifted weights or if you ever exercised, let's say I was going to do, you know, reps of 10, I start struggling at eight. I'm like, oh, you know, for the last two. But if you say, hey, you got to go to 15, I struggle at 13. It's for some sick reason. This is how it works. So when I got to third, you know, 70%, he would pop that thing out 20 to 30. And I would always really get to well over 10, whatever that number was. I was like 120. You know, did I ever get to the end? Sometimes, but it was just this, this goal thing that would happen. So, you know, he always made me stretch well beyond what, what where I was technically. And then I think that the other thing that from the protege thing is, um, he had a 735 IL BMW. Now, this thing cost more than what I was paying in rent. Um, this thing was, you know, an absolute machine in my mind. And I just was, I can't, one day I love this thing. I'm, oh, my goodness, it's the greatest. And he, he would say, David, would you take the car and go do X for me? Knowing full well that, you know, I, oh, my God, now I'm driving the car, right? And so, he, we went to the dealership, got a brochure of this car, and he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to put it in your bathroom mirror, your bathroom mirror, because uh, you're going to stare at it every morning and every night, which I did. And then let's create a, a plan for you to get that. And so I had this plan. I was going to get it in a couple of years. Well, six months later, for crying out loud, that thing was in my driveway because I had figured out a way to get it. 
And because I did stare at it every single morning and night. So he would help me raise where, where I thought I should be. And he just kept dragging me up um, in a very positive way. So I think you have to be, you have to give yourself up. I mean, that's, there's no other way to say it. You've got to give yourself up if you're going to ask somebody to be, you know, so you can be their protege. If you're not going to give 150%, then uh, it's not good. Now, here's the other thing. I don't think a protege needs to be your protege for life. I think that there are stages. So if it's, hey, how do I become a great finance person? Because I stink at that. Well, great. Hey, how do I become a great communicator? Find people who you want to emulate whatever trait that they have and ask them, yeah, would you be my mentor here? And I think that's something that people get confused about that they have to start and finish with somebody. I, I don't think that's, I think that's true. So you don't have to be, hey, I've got to pick the perfect person. You're not getting married. You're simply dating. Look at it as that way, right? You're not going to, yeah, we're going to date for a couple of years. That's great. And they want you, they'll introduce you to other people that have expertise that they don't. And I think that's, that's great. They make them proud of you. That's the only way I can say it. Make them proud of you. Um, there's no entitlement when it comes to this type of stuff, you know, and once you act like you're entitled, then I, I think you've done yourself and that person a disservice and, and you should cut bait and go on. How do you know when you're, when you're looking for a mentor or you're, you've identified somebody mm-hmm. who you think could be a potential mentor and you just, you're just not quite sure. Like, like how do you properly vet the, the mentor to see if this person is really who you want to be learning from and, and surrendering to, and, you know, in the, in the form of, of being their protege and, and really getting, getting intellectually vulnerable with them yeah. in, in a sense, like how do you really make sure it's the right person? Well, in my, my opinion, um, yeah, I haven't thought about these questions, so you're just going to get my, my reaction. I, I think first you have to observe. Um, just because that person is financially successful, that doesn't necessarily mean that they either have something that you want to emulate or you want to emulate how they did it, right? So put money aside for a second and just say, if I'm looking to to get somebody because they're great at process. So sit back and observe for a second. I mean, what is the process? I mean, just watch it. You know, it's easy to observe from a distance. And then, then I think you have to have a very open conversation. You know, I know you want, you're begging your way in to have, you know, would you would you allow me to be your protege? I, I get that. But, but really at the separate time, I think if you were just to be super honest and say, look, um, here's, I'm looking, I'm looking to be a protege and, and, and really, I think it may, may be you now. Here's, here's why I'm saying this. I'm looking for this, whatever this is, and this is why it's important to me. And, and here's what I'm observing and here's where I think that you have these traits. And I know it's a big commitment, but here's what I'm willing to do over here. Um, would you consider it? And, I, and you know, however you say that, but I think if you're not going to know. Honestly, you're not going to know. And so you could do the crawl, walk, run. You don't have to say protege up front. You really just say, could you work with me in this area? And that's like just the first date. You know, they don't have to commit to anything either. So I think don't worry about you have to go into this thing thinking it's going to be a five year. Maybe you just say, would you spend a couple hours with me talking about this? Here's what I'm trying to do. Here's why it's important. And then maybe there's some chemistry there, right? And maybe they're willing just because you want to be their protege doesn't mean that they're willing to do this. And so you'll find that out pretty quickly. You'll say, okay, there's, there's synergy. And then do I feel comfortable surrendering? Right. So maybe you have a couple meetings and then come right out and ask. Um, I mean, I asked Sandler, I said, Hey, listen, you know, I asked him, I'm not sure I, I could remember the words. I'm sure I fumbled around like a two-year-old, but um I think you're just going to have to risk it, right, at some point in time. So I think observe, take a couple meetings, see if there's some some synergy there. and But also, you know, when you're viewing them, you should ask yourself, am I acting properly? 
Am I doing what it takes? Am I doing all the things that are necessary? Because maybe you're not ready, right? I mean, let's do the marriage analogy again. Maybe you're not getting ready to get married and, and you should just be honest about it. And so that's how I would do it. Have you found your protege? <laughs> uh, in different topics, I have actually. So from a training perspective, yep. Um, from a business, yep. So, you know, do I have somebody that would say, hey, this is going to run the empire? No, but that's, but people are coming to me for different reasons. And, and I make sure that we say, look, I know you're asking me and, you know, and I'm, I'm happy to spend the time, but let's kind of narrow down what you actually want and what I'm good at first. And I have um, over time, many of them fall by the wayside, right? So we're into it for six months and everybody loves to do, you know, yard work when it's not their yard on a weekend, but when it's yours all the time, people, people kind of just like they trail off. So I've had great, great relationships with people who just kind of tapered off. Um, there's two people in our organization now that really are sponges and they, they probably want more, but I'm just waiting to see if they do what we've already talked about ahead of time. So, yeah, I think I have in, in different areas, though. Do you have anybody who you look to as a mentor now? Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and again, I even coaches like I, I've got three three coaches that I hire and um, for different reasons. Right. So. I have um, somebody that I'm very close with that I bounce all my ideas off and I'm vulnerable and I do all these things um, that I have a ton of respect for. But then at the same time, I have coaches who, you know, they're going to help me scale. This person's over here retooling the business. This person's going to help me do X, Y, and Z. And so I actively look for help because I think that the thing that I, I realized at some point in time so I've been at Sandler 30 years, right? So like I'm a, I'm a dinosaur now, but there were periods of time where, you know, I, I, I used to read, you know, three books a month on non-Sandler stuff stopped because I was too busy on our stuff. Um, and not that the results weren't bad, they were great. And, or I, I stopped um, looking to the outside because I was, my head was down, right? So if I go back to the entrepreneurial curve, it wasn't that I was taking less risks, but I went, I'll do the educational curve. I was a sponge, sponge, sponge. Okay, I got it. Let me implement, implement, implement. And I let go of, there's a ton of ideas out there, brother, that you can take. Um, you know, I learn more from clients when I go spend a week at their business than they do for me. Now, they don't say that, but it's true. I learn a ton from them. So at some point I went back to, reading a ton of, of stuff on the outside world doesn't all apply, but it's okay. I have to, my job is to figure out where it applies. And then I went out and got coaches. And I, if I look back, then I, I can say that I probably take quantum leaps when I start looking for help. Um, and, and the outside world may not say that, you know, but, but I know it, you know what I mean? I think differently because they challenge it. People challenge your thinking employees. Look, if you're an aspiring entrepreneur, who are you going to tell? Is it your family? They don't want to hear that. They want to hear that you're going to be successful, right? Is it going to be your friends? Well, let's look at our friends for a second. Unless they're entrepreneurs, they secretly don't want you to be successful. They secretly don't want you to be an entrepreneur. Now, and I don't want to be, I'm not saying they're bad people, but if they want you to succeed as an entrepreneur, at some point in time, they have to say, well, why am I not doing it? It's better if you don't actually make that commitment. It's better if you don't actually become an entrepreneur because that makes them still feel comfortable, right? So people like to be around others who are like themselves. When I started really outside of the, you know, I left the painting thing and now I'm running Sandler, my, my circle of friends changed dramatically. And, and not because of anything other than, do I still have my close high school friends? Yeah, of course. Um, but really all the other ones changed. It's because 
um, you change in a way. And it's not because we're, we're not polite to each other and we don't like each other. All that stuff is still true. But I have more friends now that are entrepreneurs than I do non-entrepreneurs. And it manifests itself in a lot of different ways. But I, I don't know if you agree, but I just think if, you know, there's the things that sometimes motivate you. I made a list when I first became an entrepreneur of all the people who wanted me to fail. I had a list. Who, who would really take joy in this not working out for me? And not because they sit around and say, hey, I hope Dave fails, but this person you know, is going to be a teacher for the rest of your life. This is too risky or you know, this person over here, who knows what, doesn't much matter. And that motivated me actually. And so I think, you know, I think it's gonna change over time, as I say. I definitely agree. I definitely agree, especially that your circle of friends is going to change or I actually think it has to change mm -hmm. in order for you to fully realize your potential because what, what I believe is that we are heavily influenced by the people around us. Agreed. Therefore, if we spend time with people who are, you know, they're up here, mm -hmm. then, you know, we're, we're going to be you're on an upward trajectory. Exactly. Yeah, you're climbing to get there. Exactly. versus, you know, doing all the stupid things to get back down to wherever they are. Right. It's fact. Absolutely. So I want to be very respectful of your time and, and, and I'm very grateful for the time that you've shared today. Um, I just have a few more questions for you, then, sure. then we'll, then we'll wrap it on up. Um, I'm interested to learn because obviously you've had a ton of experience in, in sales and leadership and training. So I, I, actually believe that we're all in the people business. We, mm -hmm. We're all in the same business. So one of the things that I believe is that connection is critically important to that, to, to being in the people business. So I'm interested in learning your philosophy on developing deep, meaningful, and genuine connection with another person. Well, look, I, I think to your point, you, we all learn from each other, right? Um, if you want to be an island, look, there's nobody psychologically that wants to be an island more than I do. hundred percent. I'm introverted, right? So given the choice, you're going to see me over the corner at a networking meeting, observing versus jumping in, you know, Hey Ben, what do you do? Well, how long have you been doing it? That takes an incredible amount of energy for me personally. So when we go to a summit, we, every, every, um, March, we go to Florida, we have thousands of clients down there. We do this three day rock'em sock'em, you know, program. <laughs> and I'm going out to meet and greet. I, I called my wife later and said, oh, I'm exhausted. She goes, what are you doing? You're just shaking hands. I said, I know, I know, I know. But it's exhausting for me because it takes more mental energy. I can't do it. But let's go to the connection thing. I think that you need to focus on others and stop being me focused. Most of us are focused on, the, on ourselves and what, what's going on with us. If you would just focus on the other person for a second and really be inquisitive, like, hey, you know, what, what's this? And why do you think about that? And just, you know, when I, if I meet you in a social situation, you would know nothing about me, actually. I, I know and ask a ton about you. And people love to talk about themselves first. And I think second, you know, I love to learn. And, and I think then, that connection happens, but let's how to start a great connection. I mean, if, and I go back to these dating analogies, I apologize, but you know, the worst date of all time is when they sit there on the first date rambling about themselves for an hour and a half and you're just trying to get through desserts, so you can get home. You know, it's a me, 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 me conversation. But if you are genuinely interested in the other person and have a, a two-way conversation. I always do 70-30. I like to talk 30% of the time and listen 70% of the time. And I think that people will tell you every anything that you want to know if you ask it in a non-threatening, inquisitive way. And so I think you have to look for connections also of what can you give them? You know, connections is not not a, a resource suck. Um, that's not good. I always like to find something that I could do for them long before, you know, I'm, I'm looking for maybe a piece of information or introduction or whatever. I think it's harder with LinkedIn. Look, we train LinkedIn and we, you know, LinkedIn is our number one lead source, but 
I think communication is somewhat busted these days. You know, my kids text each other and they're in the same house for crying out loud. I mean, how insane is that, right? Um, even people in my office, we had this discussion. They'll send each other emails and they won't just get up and walk down the hallway and say, hey, brother, what's going on with this? You know, they don't do it. And I just say, if you have to send two emails or more, you stop immediately and get off your chair and go walk down that hallway. That's ridiculous. Uh, and that's just the way it's going to be. So I, I agree with you. I mean, people, it, we are in the people business. Sales is nothing more than communication. Um, you know what they say about Sandler is, uh, I wish I had it 25 years ago because it would change the trajectory of my, my uh, life. Um, I use this in my personal life as much as I use it in my professional life. So to your point, it's all communication. And I wish my children could have it because what they would learn that much faster without me going through the road of hard knocks is incredible. And so, you know, I, I believe it, but I think you have to go into it with the same mind, with a different mindset as we talked about in order to have great connections. What's your greatest theory? On what? What topic? My greatest theory on what? Whatever comes to mind first. Well, uh, my, so I'm back to, um, for me, my greatest theory is don't uh, fire ready. You know, you can have a lot of great ideas, but if you're going to do something, you know, get yourself, look at it, plan it out and then say, okay, where do I have to go? And, you know, so as I said, you know, get your goals, create the, the plan, create your, your uh, benchmarks and then measure it. That is my greatest theory um, that I, that I've always followed. And when I leave that and I do fire ready aim, it comes back to haunt me um, because, you know, I can talk myself out of a ton of stuff sitting in front of you. I say, yeah, I know, Ben, but here, think about looking at it this way. But really what I'm doing is I'm deflecting the fact that I just am making it up as I go. And that's, that's a bad deal. But I also think my second, my second close one would be uh, be transparent. You know, uh, and this is my favorite phrase internally, and everybody knows it's mine internally is, so black helicopters, everyone sees black helicopters, right? Uh, what are they doing? Hey, what's that agenda? They see black helicopters because you haven't overly, ex you know, over-explained what you're trying to do and why. If you're just super transparent, get it on the table. Uh, let's agree that this is what we'd like to do or not. And, you know, otherwise, if you hold stuff back, even if it's not intentional, it looks Machiavellian, you know? So I just think full disclosure uh, would be would be a close second. I, I want to thank you again so, so much um, for, for coming on the show today. Um, just have two more questions for you. Sure. Um, is there anything about yourself that you think is an important part of who you are that we didn't talk about today? In other words, what did I miss? for aspiring um, uh, things that are important about myself. I don't know. I think we hit, we hit an awful lot. I just think, look, if you're going to think about going into business for yourself, I think you have to be brutally honest with yourself. Make sure that you're capitalized. Um, don't believe your own press. Don't believe your own press. So what that means is when people tell you, hey, you're awesome, you're successful, I know I want to hear it. Right? It's good for the ego. No way, man. Just shove that out of your mind. And uh, I've seen a ton of great people implode because they, they believe they're impressed. Um, you know, I think I, you've asked some great questions. So everything that my work ethic and how I think, I think you've touched upon. What question should I be asking you, specifically me asking specifically you, that I just wouldn't think to ask? Um, you know, I guess what, 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 if you had to do three things over, what would they be? Or, you know, if, uh, you're sitting here as Kreskin, you're looking back, what would you have done differently? We always have those, right? There's always something in somebody's past that you say, if you could go back in time, what, what would it be? What would you do? Um, that would may change the trajectory of where you're going. What what would that be? I don't, you know. I'm giving it much thought, but certainly that's always a, I always ask people, if you had to do it over again, what would you have done differently? And they just learn a ton. 
you know, you learn a ton because you're such an off what they're doing now. But they're like, yeah, I know, but you know what? <laughs> I should have done this. And I didn't know it at the time, but looking back, that would have changed everything. And if you just start peeling back the onion, well, why didn't you do it? And, you know, blah, 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 all those good things. So those are maybe a thought. What are some of those things for you? <laughs> so for me, um, I, I would have had coaches earlier, uh, for sure. I would have um, done things differently back in 2007 when I took control of the company. I think then uh, we did a great job unifying, you know, all these tribes into one big massive company and, and that worked. But I think in my quest for allowing them to have autonomy as, as entrepreneurs, which they still do today, I think that I, I allowed um, certain things in our company to occur because they always occurred and battles and wars. <laughs> Some of the things that I thought were battles really should have been wars. Like for, in, for instance, um, we had somebody leave our organization. They said, hey, I want to start this side business. Um, can, I, can I have just a couple of the trainers as my first clients so I can say I have clients? Okay, I'm a rescuer. I said, oh, okay. That was the worst thing I ever did in my life um, because they didn't really live up to their agreement. You know, four became 50, 50 became 100. And next thing you know, you know, this whole company within a company popped up and, it, and it's, it's caused problems. And in my quest to be a good guy, in my quest to, you know, fulfill this rescue script that I have, um, I made a bad decision. And, but I, but I, and I've done it twice again. And I would have to say both times it's come back to haunt me, actually. And so I continue to do it. I see it, you know, and I tell myself now, never let that happen. Actually, I told everyone in the company, never let this happen again. I mean, I don't care what I tell you, never let this happen again. I think that's one. And I think the other one for me is I self-fund everything. My fear of complete implosion um, has actually held us back. And that doesn't mean that I need to go leverage myself because we own no money to anybody, but there is, there is because I come from a, uh, I don't want to say a poverty background, but certainly a, uh, not an affluent, that my risk tolerance isn't as high and it's gotten me this far. So I'm not going to second guess it, but at the same time, there are three opportunities that we could have and should have really capitalized on, but because I was um, afraid of the fear versus the upside and really finding out a way not to figure out how not to do it, but how to dissipate my risk, really. If we wanna do it, how do I just spread out the risk for a second? And maybe that's getting partners over here, maybe it's this. I think that's where I missed the boat. And so now um, I don't do that any longer. Um, we still have no debt, but if there's something that we should, we should invest in X, like we just invested in something that it will legitimately change how people are trained. And I just had this conversation before I came up. I said to the C CFO, I said, you know, the biggest problem is going to be, it's me. And I, we have to figure out a way to get me out of my script. And, and because I don't want to make this thing this big, because I've got a window of time before everyone else copies it. So we need to capitalize on that. And so we've got to go figure out a way to get that done in such a way that I don't hyperventilate, but, but also I mean, our company's not at risk. And he laughed and I said, you're laughing because you know it's true. He goes, I know it's true. I said, so we need to fix that. We got to work on that um, because I've just become brutally honest, you know, but I think those are the things that I probably, if I had to do it again, and, and I think the other thing I wouldn't have done is I wouldn't have gone international as fast. I mean, it's cool to say that you're in 32 countries. I mean, that's, that's great. And, and my clients dragged me there because when you're training, let's say Dell and they have, they want you to train in all these countries. I allowed my clients to pull me into industries or into things that maybe I should have said no to. And not because international is not great, it is great. But I underestimated the commitment that it takes 
because if you make one change here in, in one of our manuals, that means 32 changes have to occur in different languages. And the ripple effect is just huge. And if I look back, could we have survived without that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, would I have had uh, a lot more resources? Yeah, absolutely. But the flaw was I didn't create that path. I was dragged through the path because I wanted the revenue. See, uh, I wanted the revenue. And the, the revenue caused me to make decisions that maybe weren't the greatest for the company. And I think that's the other thing as an aspiring entrepreneur, you really have to know when to say no. Um, it's awesome. I see the, I, I appreciate your, you know, your trust in me and I, I think we could do a good job. That's not my business model. And um, I say that all the time now, as much as I say, oh my gosh, that would be such a gold mine. That's not my business model. And just stay pure to what you're good at. You can't be everything to everybody. It just doesn't work. And um, so I think if I had to do it over, that's what I would do. Well, Dave, thank you so much for for coming on the show today and uh, sharing this time with me. It is it has truly been an honor, um, and and I'm very grateful for the for the time that that you've given to the show. So thank you. My pleasure. Can I make an offer? Please. Um, as a, as an, an entrepreneur and one that started right exactly where your listeners are, if anyone wants to go to any of our training centers, just call it up. Call up our guys and say you listen to, you know, our your program and hey, can I come and watch something and go learn and uh, you'll be my guest. It's not going to cost you anything, and just be a sponge, just absorb, and uh, go out and you know be an entrepreneur. Fantastic. Well, thank you again, and to everybody who's watching, listening, I want to thank y'all from the bottom of my heart. Um, your time is very valuable, and I'm very grateful that you would share it with us today. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I love y'all very, very much. And I will see you on the next episode.